welcome to the voice of Benchmark ESG, the podcast taking a deep dive into all things environmental social governance and the tools and technology needed to help you and your organizations achieve ESG excellence. I'm your host, Aiden Zebertavage, product marketing leader here at Benchmark ESG. On April 22nd, as part of Benchmark's Earth Day 2021 celebrations, we were pleased to host over 200 EHS leaders, operations specialists, technologists, and advisors during our ESG vision sharing webinar. As we're all becoming well aware, ESG and the frameworks associated with it and the reporting structures it requires to be successful are becoming more and more prevalent across industries, and the importance of ESG is quickly establishing itself as a key driver for corporate strategic initiatives. As Benchmark ESG, we are constantly striving to ensure that we are on the cutting edge of not only our technology, but on progress within the ESG industry. And as part of our Earth Day event, we wanted our attendees to gain more perspective on the opportunities and challenges that exist in operationalizing ESG programs, and really to understand what's at stake for organizations who are pursuing these frameworks. And there's really no better way to gain that insight than by hearing it directly from leaders and practitioners in the ESG space. So on this month's episode, we are pleased to share insights from Doug Ponsler, Chairman and Managing Director of the Center of Visual Expertise, Rick Taylor, VP of Corporate EHS and Energy at Parker Hannafin, and Jeremy Presnell, VP of EHS and Workforce Development at Shermco Industries. First up, let's hear from Doug Ponsler, who alongside Benchmark ESG's Senior Director of Product Management and Marketing, Amanda Petzinger, speaks to the importance of engagement, transparency, and action throughout your organization on ESG programs in order to make them a success. So uh, as Mukund alluded to, I I was wondering if you could share a little bit more about what you think it's going to take in order to make ESG a part of a business's operating DNA and really deliver on these commitments. Very good. And uh, it's also a pleasure to be here with Rick and with Jeremy as well. I really look forward to their comments. Um, As you would expect, I think there's a lot to the question you just asked, Amanda, and it's very much like any any very large, you know, effort that a a corporation or an organization undertakes to be able to change their focus, be able to enable their focus in, in certain areas. And, you know, it really begins with having a vision, setting expectations and aligning the resources of the organization around where you can really make a difference. The heavy lifting, though, is how we engage our employees so that they can contribute to helping us achieve our commitments, Uh, especially in the CSG space, uh, especially the um, footprint reduction objectives that we might have as an organization. And and that's quite where most of my experience has been is around uh, how we improve the footprint of our of our company. And, And it begins with the actions that we take, certainly at each one of our locations. You know, the big innovation projects are great. The big capital investments are great. And they're really important to moving the needle in a big way. There's no no doubt about that. But so are projects and actions that are generated by individuals and teams within the organization. They tend to be closest to the action. They see the opportunities if they understand what we are trying to achieve and why it is important. The reality in most organizations is that they have very few resources that are solely focused on ESG, maybe more so today than, you know, maybe 10 years ago, but but still very few resources that are focused uh, exclusively on ESG. 
And that's really okay because ESG is really part of everyone's job. But for it to be everyone's job, we must communicate what we are focusing on achieving and why that's important. We must share data and results so that everyone knows how we are doing. We must create the capability for people to share their ideas and we must act on those ideas or they'll stop coming. At scale, the tools to do this are important. It's hard to manage ideas and observations, vet them, communicate about them. You know, if we're doing it from a legal pad or a notebook or something we're walking around with or with systems that are really not integrated together so that we can take those ideas and we can actually action them in a way that'll have the sort of impact on the organization that we're looking for. I think it's an important part of the engagement um, as we support our ESG initiatives uh, to be really good storytellers. You know, let the employees tell their stories about how they have contributed. You know, things like photo contests can spur, you know, a lot of sharing of successes, both in the workplace and perhaps things they've even done at home. Creating discussion and conversation about the things people have done to reduce energy use, recycle more, conserve water, we can go on and on and on, all provide examples for others. Stories are also good for our ESG reporting as well. We cannot be successful with just a few people in a room doing ESG activities and ESG reporting. Engaged employees contributing to the ESG journey helps ensure a sustainable approach and continuous improvement. Now, I mentioned it early, earlier, but we cannot be afraid to be transparent about the data and make it accessible for our employees and how their ESG accountabilities tie in. We must put tools in their hands so their ideas can be collected and acted upon. And with great communication, they'll be inspired to do more. And I think that's the point where ESG is really part of the fabric of the organization. Great. Well, you know, Doug, I appreciate those comments. And I think, you know, the, the key aspects you talked about in terms of engagement, transparency, and action, um, yeah, I think are, are proven for many of, of those on this call here from their experience in, in the, EHS, the EHS realm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the same approach that, you know, many of the high performing uh, environmental health and safety programs have taken to really make EHS a part of the fabric of their, their culture and their company and uh, uh, making sure everyone has a vested interest in that. So I think, you know, it, it's, it's a steeper challenge, I think, with ESG because it's, you know, uh, cuts across so many different focus areas, but is a, a, a proven tactic that we can take, you know, to try and um, make this part of the DNA. Yeah, I, I agree, Amanda. I think, you know, going back to the safety experiences that we've had over time, you know, when you're out on the shop floor and you ask someone where they think the next injury might occur, it's rare that somebody says, I have no idea. You know, most people have some thought about things that they view as, as having more risk or less controls that might be necessary to, you know, protect them and protect others. I think the same thing's true, particularly in the footprint component of ESG. If we ask people on the shop floor, where do you see um, electricity, um, energy being wasted? You know, where do you see too much water consumption? You know, where do you see recycling opportunities being missed? I think they have those same ends. Next up, we have Rick Taylor, VP of Corporate EHS and Energy at Parker Hannifin. 
speaking around a critically important topic around stakeholder interest in ESG performance and what's needed for teams to be more sustainable and organized around these requests in a sustainable way. Uh, Rick, I want to turn to you next. We've had some conversations over the last couple of years about um, what could be described as a deluge of uh, ESG disclosure requests that that you've been seeing and was uh, wondering if you could share a little bit about the growth that you're seeing in uh, you know, stakeholder interest in, in ESG performance and what your thoughts are about what's needed for teams to be more sustainable and organized around uh, these requests in a sustainable way. Great, yes, thank you, Amanda. And thank you uh, for the opportunity just to give you a few comments on, on our ESG uh, journey which has really accelerated, I'd say, over the last 24 months. Uh, you know, for a long time, ESG was little e, little s, big G. That was the way, uh, you know, the organizations that cared about it uh, looked at it. And so governance was the most important aspect early on in, in the process. And, and now ENS appear to be starting to carry some equal weight. So that brings uh, a number of different additional functions into the conversation. So I think that was the first transformational thing for us to understand was that when you were dealing with just government's governance metrics, there was a smaller uh, universe of functional areas inside of a company that had to respond and, and react. And when you start pulling in the E and the S, you, you dimensionally increase complexity of the number of, of uh, organizational functional areas that have to be involved. Uh, and so that was a big adjustment for us, you know, uh, from that standpoint. The other thing was the explosion of interest in ESG. And uh, it started, frankly, with the investor segment, but then it really got into the customer segment. So I don't know if anyone's familiar with Ecovadis. And Ecovadis is a platform where a, uh, an organization can ask for the supply chain to provide an ESG scoring framework. And uh, we had our first customer come on to Ecovadis in 2010. And we didn't get another one until 2014. Then we got two more by 2017. And in the last 24 months, we've had 75 major customers jump into the Ecovadis. And we're a B2B, so we're in the middle of the food chain. So uh, that's the reason that we've seen this big explosion. And uh, early on, it was just thank you for doing the ESG rating. And, and now it's like, hey, we want to see you have a minimum score or you might not get new business. So it becomes extremely relevant, right, to, to a company when you start seeing that expectation put on you. And the investor segment, of course, I think everyone here knows, you know, that that one has always been accountable. But to have letters from BlackRock, from Larry Fink, uh, setting uh, expectations for climate change and to have uh, minimum scores. And when your score gets adjusted, having major shareholder investment segments asking and questioning you, it gets it gets extremely relevant also. So those are the two big segments. Also, we've seen a big explosion with DEI, diversity, equity and inclusion, climate and cybersecurity. So these are all brand new. So, you know, a lot of mega trends come factoring into the ESG space. And then, you know, you start to say, okay, we know it's relevant now. We know ENS is extremely big. Now, what's, what's the trend? Well, the trend is the bar is rising. Uh, we're starting to see, you know, other companies reacting. You used to be able to get a reasonably good score by putting in a lot of information. And now all of a sudden the bar is going up. So imagine that grading curve when you're in college for your, your college essay. Uh, the, the, the bar is rising and the expectations are rising from the stakeholders. So I think in terms of the way we're managing this, Amanda, here's, here's where we're at. Uh, you know, the E and the S brought the complexity into place. So now we have 
probably eight to 10 functional areas that need to be involved in ESG scoring. And before it used to be two. So really what you need in, inside your organization is a quarterback. You need someone that's going to be quarterbacking. They don't own all the elements of an ESG score or rating or assessment, but they have to quarterback the process. So I think my first takeaway for everyone on the phone is you have to have somebody quarterback the process and they have to understand the functional makeup of the organization. They have to be tied and connected and have influence with all of those uh, functional areas. And it's not necessarily the EHS leader. It could be anybody in the company that, you know, has the ability to influence and manage across all the functional areas. And, and you know, the, the right person for ESG might not be the EHS person or it might be the EHS person. So that's takeaway number one. Takeaway number two is you're going to be asked by thousands of different organizations for thousands of different pieces of information. So you've got to establish standard work inside your company and decide what you're going to disclose and how you're going to disclose it and be able to you know, rinse and repeat over and over again. So that this is a very important thing we're developing right now is to say for supply chain, here's the, the universe of questions we're getting. Let's create some standard work about how we respond to those and what we're going to provide. So that's the second big thing. I think that the last uh, and final thing is that you got to set a transparency bar of some sort. Uh, because the ESG ratings are getting a little pushier and a little pushier for disclosure and transparency, you got to decide as a company where you draw the line to say, I am willing to share this with you, but I'm not willing to share this with you. And that is an important bar because uh, if you don't share things, then that individual rating agency is going to set their own, you know, uh, rating on you and your their own assessment. And so you, you got to kind of find that fine line between over-disclosure, under-disclosure, disclosing what's necessary, disclosing, you know, what you think is important and, um, you know, just taking that away. My final parting uh, takeaway is don't let ESG ratings drive your sustainability program. ESG ratings are just a component of this thing. Every company needs to set their own path, what's important to them, what's important material to the company, what's material to stakeholders. You know, if you just try to manage ESG ratings, you will drive yourself nuts and it's not the right approach. You just wanna make sure that you're giving a good consistent message to those assessment firms and those assessment agencies and those stakeholders to say, this is who we are, this is what we're all about, here's what we do, and here's our path. So man, I'll stop there um, with, with those comments on that. Thank you for the opportunity to share. Well, thanks, Rick. That that was some really great takeaways, and and certainly, um, you know, reflects some of the other conversations that I've been having with folks. And you know, it went going from uh, two or three of these disclosures to seventy of them in a very short amount of time. Uh, absolutely uh, begs a much more structured process, like you mentioned, and and you know, some leadership, but also some boundaries as well on how you want to respond. So I think those are, are four really excellent insights and takeaways. Um, I guess there's a question for you, Rick, uh, from one of our attendees on, on at what level do you think the quarterback should be? Should it be a director, a VP, an analyst? Um, yeah. I, I would suggest somebody uh, at the corporate level that has some enterprise level responsibilities and sits at an even uh, kind of an even level with the rest of the functional leaders in some way, shape or form would probably be the best. Also a person that understands how to work in an enterprise uh, level 
and integrate and, and correspond, influence, lead, uh, coerce if necessary, <laughs> the strategy. So yeah, I do believe it should be a, a VP level, uh, not necessarily the CEO or the board of directors, but probably a functional leader at an enterprise level. And it's really so critical what Rick is talking about there. The interest from an investor standpoint and the potential financial implications of the success of your ESG programs means that organizations have even more incentive to engage with these processes. And for our final industry expert, we were able to hear from Jeremy Presnell, VP of EHS and Workforce Development at Shermco Industries. And what's absolutely critical here is how many EHS leaders are likely going to be tasked with spearheading and implementing many of the operational programs and technology that is associated with their ESG goals. And what Jeremy's going to be talking about is how these leaders can leverage their experience in the EHS industry in this new emerging ESG space. So let's take a listen in on, uh, on Jeremy's discussion. Bare minimum. Great. Well, thank you, Rick. And then uh, finally, Jeremy, I wanted to turn to you to, to ask a little bit about kind of developing the strategy, you know, identifying what is important and how you want to go after that. You, can you share a little bit about how ESG is transforming Shermco Industries and really how you're looking to take a page out of your EHS playbook to try and apply it here? Sure. Yeah. And, you know, I guess first I'd just like to say that, you know, um, from the standpoint of being probably newest to the uh, ESG arena, um, about six months ago, our, our stakeholders came to the senior leadership team and, and said, hey, we, we would like to start hearing about what you're doing from an ESG standpoint and, and what your KPIs are. And, and we'd like to get updates uh, from a quarter, about a quarterly uh, frequency. And so at first, I was tagged to be the quarterback for ESG and, um, you know, having responsibilities for EHS, I, I guess, you know, when, when you take a step back and, and you look at ESG, you know, it, there's a lot more there than, than just EHS and it can be a little overwhelming at first. And I completely agree with Rick. I think it's more about who's the right person in the organization with the right experiences, the right touch point, and certainly at the right level that they can drive these improvement initiatives across the organization. And so, you know, initially I started out a little bit anxious, but as I really started looking at key attention areas for our organization, I realized that a large part of it was already built out in our key EHS strategies, particularly, you know, the environmental footprint piece I think is pretty obvious. But when I also started looking around just improving our health and safety management systems and programs for our employees, how we're increasing engagement, um, getting them involved. I, I know that that comment was made earlier, I think, by Doug, and I think it, it's absolutely critical, whether it's, you know, driving health and safety culture improvement, uh, as well as helping people understand how, you know, that fits right within the ESG framework. And, and you can really take the same type of approach from you know, what I would just consider a plan, do, check, adjust, right? And, and so working with the committee, um, what, what I've done essentially is, you know, we have a lead from EHS, which essentially is myself, and I'm, I'm the committee chair. And then we have HR, we have legal and compliance, and, and we have IT. And, and so 
what we've done is really just rolled our, our key strategic initiatives into a very specific uh, strategy for ESG. And, uh, you know, we're building out KPIs that uh, we're tracking here quarterly. And so, you know, at first it was a little overwhelming until I realized that, hey, as the broader organization, we are working on a lot of these things. And so, you know, one of the things that excites me about what Benchmark is doing is I think it's giving us a, a better tool. And it's a tool that our, at least our employees, our company's been using GenSuite for a long time. They're, they're familiar with GenSuite, right? They're comfortable with it, but it gives us increased functionality that we'll be able to use to, I think, better quantify those ESG improvements and, and KPIs because, you know, really the first six months, it, it's really been kind of a, uh, a qualitative report out on, on how we're doing. But as Rick said, it sounds like, you know, there, there's certainly a lot more to it from a, from a scoring standpoint. And as disclosure requests come to the organization, you know, those things are going to be really important. So I guess my, my key takeaway is if you are the EHS leader or whatever your role in an organization, um, don't let it overwhelm you. Just take a step back and, and look at your strategic initiatives and, and identify what are the key function areas for our organization? Where do these fit? And, and how do I spearhead the committee of right players to, uh, you know, drive these initiatives to the finish line? So. Yes, that's kind of kind of my um, my share for this. And as Jeremy mentioned, it's key that organizations identify what is important and material to their businesses, and really recognizing that, frankly, not every single issue is is going to be or even needs to be addressed all at once. All of us are at the very beginning of our ESG journey. So being able to identify those few key areas early on that are most impactful and then be able to build upon the success is not only going to enhance the growth of your ESG programs, but is gonna consistently allow you to have better engagement with your stakeholders, both internally and externally. And lastly, on this month's episode of the Voice of Benchmark ESG, let's take a listen to Benchmark's own Naveen GV, our Global Development Officer, and Donovan Hornsby, our Corporate Development and Strategy Officer, on not only how ESG is impacting different regions around the world, but how Benchmark is positioning itself to address the ESG opportunities facing our subscribers. Well, thank you, Jeremy. Yeah, I think uh, coming up and identifying, you know, what is important and material to your business and and not, you know, think taking a step back as well and, and not thinking that you have to, you know, respond or address every single ESG issue at once. Right. And that it's it really is a journey and an evolution of of those uh, issues and initiatives. Uh, I think can also really help um, you know kind of frame this and and make it into manageable uh, chunks to to attack. Absolutely. And then finally, I just wanted to turn for a couple of minutes to Naveen GV, uh, who is our uh, global development officer. And uh, I know Naveen, you've been having a number of these conversations uh, with our partners, subscribers, and industry leaders um, in, in the Asia Pacific region, and wanted to just hear from you a little bit about um, you know, how um, you know, the global community is looking to make these ESG commitments and what some of the drivers are there as well. Great, uh, thanks Amanda. 
I think great comments from, from Doug, Jeremy, and Rick as well. Uh, I think are very consistent with what we hear from the APAC region as well. Uh, the key driver, like you kind of mentioned, uh, is, is different on the fact that investors are looking for, for ESG data and, and metrics to come out. And that I think is the obvious reason why a lot of people are turning to, to us to kind of seek guidance and help around how they can look at uh, not only just operationalizing how they can gather all of the data across the enterprise, but really looking at uh, driving the aspects of uh, transparency, I think like Rick pointed out, uh, and then have the data be clearly auditable and, and traceable to where it's kind of generated from. So that's the big ask that we're getting from the regions. Uh, and obviously, I think, like you mentioned, uh, investor and access to capital has been one of the key pointers of why why businesses are turning towards ESG and why it's getting all the focus and attention that it rightly kind of needs as well. So this is another initiative that I heard from the World Economic Forum uh, that are partnering with the big four uh, and kind of are coming out with what is called stakeholder uh, capitalism metrics that looks at combining a lot of the standards and frameworks we have around ESG being CDP, GRI, SASP, TCFD, and coming out with uh, some 26 metrics that businesses can easily report around that's understood by the investment community. So that's one of the key initiatives that they are taking. Uh, we should probably hear a lot more from them because now, uh, like I think some of the speakers pointed, uh, there are a lot of frameworks and a lot of asks from the investment community around various frameworks and that's driving people crazy. So I think one initiative on that line will help is what we're hearing. So over to you, Amanda. Yeah, I think of all of us, all of us would greatly appreciate a little bit more standardization uh, in this yeah. space and await, await that, um, you know, anxiously. But I, I do want to just take a moment and thank Doug, Rick, and Jeremy, and you as well, Naveen, uh, some fantastic insights here. And hopefully the rest of you on the call, um, you know, could relate and, and resonate with um, the insights that each of our panelists shared. And you know, this, like I mentioned, has really been representative of a number of conversations that we've had and has served to really validate the, the concept and idea that, that we had uh, you know, and, and shared earlier this year about a digital solution really needing to, to be available to help transform and usher in and operationalize this ESG culture change. And to really talk a little bit more about that vision, I'm going to uh, turn things over to Donovan Hornsby who's our corporate development and strategy officer to talk a little bit more about what we're thinking at Benchmark about how we could help you tackle this from a solutions perspective. Great, thanks Amanda. Hear me okay? Yes. Great, uh, big thanks to Doug and Rick and Jeremy. Appreciate your insights and Naveen, um, your perspectives there and for spending some time with us to celebrate Earth Day. Um, you know, what you had shared uh, there was a really good reflection of what I've been hearing in a couple of ESG panel discussions that I've participated over the past month. Uh, lots of discussion around the topics and themes you mentioned there, you know, a lot around conversations that folks are having with their CEOs and CFOs around ownership, which Ricky touched on, ownership of ESG and ownership of making it happen, uh, Jeremy. And then, and then obviously the business value, I think that's one thing that's, you know, sometimes forgotten in this conversation that there's real business value in ESG performance. Um, my sense is that you know, everybody's pretty well sensitized to this by now. And if you had, weren't before, you certainly were after hearing from some of our presenters today. Um, for some of you, the focus might be on disclosures. Uh, you're being asked as you know, highlighted there to provide information to customers, investors, maybe your corporate communications team 
around uh, you know, citizenship report or GRI or CDP report you might be filing. Some of you might be looking to engage your stakeholders to identify what's material to your business. In other words, what's important and why. Um, maybe it's climate risk, responsible sourcing issues, product lifecycle, diversity inclusion, these types of things. And then understanding how you can positively impact that as an organization. Um, some of you may already have ESG commitments in place um, and you're trying to figure out how you deliver on them, how to develop a culture, which you know Doug spoke to as well, uh, which really means driving that ESG mindset um, into the operations and essentially what you're doing every day. You know, something I think that's you know, a, a concept that we know, you know very well within the HSC community. Um, maybe you can go on. Next one here. Um, so, you know, as Amanda kind of alluded to there, for the past few months, we've been begun to start translating and some of these ideas um, that we've been talking about over the past few months and to really start shaping a vision for how we believe we can work together to address those three dimensions that Amanda shared on the, the previous slide there. And one thing that we learned over the past couple of decades, and I know Rick and, and uh, Doug, you touched on this as well, is that if we can focus on what I would say a, a common set of, of business values and business capabilities, then we can derive some concepts and solution approaches that will get at the essence of what we're all trying to do here with ESG. And our thought is that if we can put together some simple tools that help you, for example, be more proactive in your response to customers and investors uh, or the board who's looking for more data, you know, what if you could tap into a library of standard KPIs uh, to your point, Jeremy, there, that are aligned with those frameworks to take some of the guesswork out of it? What if you could more easily engage folks across those functional teams to gather information you need to respond more quickly to customers and investors and be able to generate that GRI report or the CDP or those other frameworks that Naveen mentioned there? What if you could more easily work with your stakeholders and figure out what is material to your business? You know, whether it's climate risk, diversity, inclusion, responsible sourcing, these things, and translate that into a strategy for, you know, more practically a set of initiatives or projects. And so what we're really talking about here is essentially, you know, think of this as an ecosystem of, of not just solutions per se, but business capabilities where folks can plug into the dimensions that make most sense for them where they are in their ESG journey. And that includes the operational aspect, of course, that you see there in the middle and something that, you know, historically for the past two decades, we've been building out. So what if we could tie what we're trying to do from a strategy standpoint up top um, into the operations and what we're trying to do um, every day uh, through the folks out there on the front line? You know, I saw a great demonstration of this, Amanda, um, in the, uh, with the, as far as this ecosystem approach goes in the, the Gartner uh, Responsible Sourcing Market Guide that just got published this week or last there. Um, and if you're not familiar with it, I encourage you to check it out there. But we had a nice mention in there as one of the providers in the responsible sourcing space. And as I looked at the different approaches that different service and solution providers were taking, it was very clear that, that we are very unique in this space where we have customers that are not only addressing the core aspects of, in this case, responsible sourcing, things like spot risk, due diligence, but is as part of either a standalone function or as part of a broader ESG strategy. And there you have it. Benchmark ESG's Earth Day Vision Sharing Recap. I hope it's really clear from all of our external champions that ESG as a motivating force within your company's strategy is really here to stay, and that Benchmark is continually enhancing our own capabilities to support this ever-changing space as we all go on our ESG journey together. And that's it for this month. 
Join me on our next episode where I'll be joined by my colleagues to discuss all things around advanced technology, things like AI, machine learning, Internet of Things, and how the Benchmark Gen Suite platform has integrated these offerings to provide deep operational insight and provide for better decision making for leadership and operations specialists. Cheers.